Hello everyone, this is Brian Sonnenstein, one of your hosts for Beyond Prisons. On today's episode, we're talking with Penny Yadid an organizer with the Florida-based Campaign to Fight Toxic Prisons. Penny Yadi tells us about the prison ecology movement and breaks down some of the intersections of the criminal legal system and the environment. We also talk about the group's conference, the Fight Toxic Prisons Convergence, which takes place in Pittsburgh from June 8th to 11th. He also gives us an update on Operation Push. Keep an eye out for updates on our work via Twitter at beyond underscore prison. And if you like what we do, please consider chipping in a few dollars on Patreon at patreon.com slash beyondprisons. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Thank you so much. Here's the interview. All right. It's great to be back, everybody. Uh, today we are joined by Panayoti Solkis from Fight Toxic Prisons. Um, it's really great to have you here with us today. Uh, to kick it off, um, you know, the topic of prison ecology and the intersection of prisons and the environment is one that maybe um, some people have come across, but it's it's not one of the more like widespread, like mainstream topics that we hear coming up in criminal justice reform conversations. And I'm wondering if you could just sort of introduce our audience, uh, you know, to this uh, area and tell us about what Fight Toxic Prisons does um, and how the group came about. That would be great. Yeah, well, I'm, I think I'm encouraged to say that I think there is some shift and more people are hearing about it. And so, you know, I guess first off, thank you for having me on the show. And I think that's uh, proof that people are interested in, and the, the word is spreading uh, through Definitely. the media, through activist circles. Uh, and when we started in spring of 2015, I was working at Prison Legal News full time and um, had an assortment of, of projects on my plate. And Paul Wright, who's the editor of Prison Legal News and a former prisoner in Washington State, uh, had long been thinking about this concept and had, you know, they published a lot of articles about water quality problems and, um, you know, prison pollution from the industries, you know, that uh, prison slave labor works at. And and Paul had asked me if, you know, I wanted to work together on developing this, this concept because I'd also spent the last 20 years uh, as an environmental activist and organizer. And it made a lot of sense to me. So um, we you know, started brainstorming and, and we developed this, uh, what we call the Prison Ecology Project to do research and writing. And um, you know, that kind of spiraled into doing some advocacy work, for example, around the Letcher County Prison, um, the Human Rights Defense Center, which is the parent organization of Prison Legal News, um, filed the first really significant kind of massive comment uh, dozen pages or so of you know argument against why the Letcher County prison wasn't necessary and um, you know that really kind of projected us into certain circles uh, environmental organizations that were interested in you know uh, that process the environmental impact statement and from there we built on you know the uh, a comment to the EPA about their environmental justice guidelines so those were some of the early things that got the prison ecology project started and mm-hmm. the campaign to fight toxic prisons uh really spiraled off of that as more of a a movement more than a a project underneath a you know a specific mm-hmm. nonprofit organization 
So can you tell us, um, can you just give us some examples of the various issues that are tackled within this space? Um, because, I, you know, there, and there's a lot of things too that I think uh, people might be aware of, but maybe they're not thinking about it through like an environmental lens specifically. So I was wondering if you could just talk about some of these uh, issues, like both inside and outside the prison. Yeah, well, you know, some of them, just to rattle off a couple examples that come to mind and have, you know, occasionally have surfaced in the media. So prisons have this, uh, you know, legacy of water pollution problems, sewage management problems, uh, you know, industrial um, hazardous waste management, and also land use problems, like where the prisons were built, are built, you know, on top of contaminated lands or next to contaminated lands. For example, military bases, mines, um, you know, I think places that most folks wouldn't think of primary use as, you know, an habitation for thousands of people. So those are some of the issues that, you know, that I think scratch the surface of what we're talking about. And um, uh, just as a quick follow up to that point, uh, so you're not just working in Florida, correct? You're working around the country on these issues as well. Yeah, correct. Okay. And because we're uh, located, our office is in Florida, so we do a lot of, we focus a lot on what's happening here mm -hmm. in the state, but uh, we've you know, also put a lot of effort into other areas. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about the work that you've done in Florida organizing prisoners? Yeah, uh, that's, the last few months has been that's been a big focus, a pretty intensive effort going into communicating with families and uh, prisoners and former prisoners in Florida. It's kind of started with a fight around a phosphate mine, which is still underway, very much so in developing. Um, but there's a prison right next door to the phosphate mine site in Bradford and Union counties and environmental groups were looking at that uh, bringing up general concerns around impact to wildlife impact to the water table and and we asked the question you know what about the prisoners who are less than a quarter mile from this 10,000 acre proposed phosphate mine and that really kind of uh, you know engaged us with a lot of prisoner organizing in Florida that we had just, you know, initially we had jumped in on the September 2016 Attica anniversary organizing. Mm -hmm. And so we made some initial contacts through that. Um, but this was really the first time we took on an environmental issue, looking at how prisoners would be affected and how prisoners could be involved in the environmental movement to stop this phosphate mine. And that, kind of grew into the uh, Operation Push support that we did for prisoners who called for a, a statewide prison strike in January this year. You know, I'd be interested to hear what your experience has been engaging incarcerated people on these topics um, and, you know, what the, out what the outreach has been like, like what kind of uh, how you've been reaching out to incarcerated people and also like what their response has been like and how they've reacted uh, to, to this frame. Well, we you know there's a, a mix of reactions. We've you know uh, we get correspondence from all over the country, and between the campaign to fight toxic prisons and uh, the prison ecology project that's housed at Prison Legal News, uh, you know there's we've got hundreds of letters from 
dozens of states, uh, you know, asking for help or asking for, you know, support in exposing these issues that are uh, affecting prisoners' health. And um, so I think at first, you know, a lot of prisoners think that it's not something that people are, are concerned about or thinking about because it's, you know, prisoners tend to be kind of out of, out of sight, out of mind population. But, you know, in the what's been coming kind of full circle is that the same water quality issues that are often affecting a prison are, um, you know, widespread in the surrounding communities as well. So, I mean, I think that the clearest example of that was like, you know, Flint, Michigan, uh, it wasn't just prisoners who were affected, but prisoners were affected in one of the most kind of vulnerable positions. Mm-hmm. And we've been able, I think, to open people's eyes in some ways that, you know, uh, Paul Wright likes to say that even if you don't care about prisoners, no one wants feces in their drinking water. And when you pile thousands of people into a, a warehouse, essentially, uh, that's the result. It's a, basically like a human factory farm. You're going to have sewage problems mm-hmm. in prisons have shown that chronically that they have problems dealing with their sewage at facilities all over the country. Mm-hmm. So that like it changes the, the engagement people who might not otherwise think much about prisoners, but they do pay attention to, you know, sewage and pollution into the local water bodies or, you know, damage to the, the aquifer or other sort of contamination. I'm wondering if you, um, do you see this as like an area that, I, I guess is a place that uh, we can build solidarity, you know, maybe between people on the inside and outside, since this is sort of like a, you know, like an overarching, uh, like you're saying, it impacts both, and there's a reason, there's a shared interest there in doing something about it. Yeah, I think we found solidarity in a lot of unexpected places. Like, uh, as a person who's been involved with the environmental movement for a long time. Uh, and I've even, you know, I've sat on for, from the range from like, I was on the editorial board of the Earth First Journal Collective to the steering committee of the local Sierra Club group. And sometimes, you know, you get to feeling a little, uh, you know, frustrated with some of the bigger organizations, the big greens, they call them, you know, the NGOs that are kind of entrenched with uh, bureaucracy or just, you know, the scale of the organization can be a little stifling. But um, you know, we found organizations ranging from Sierra Club, uh, Natural Resource Defense Council, Earth Justice, Greenpeace. These, these are, you know, four of the top big green organizations in this country that right. all have expressed support or some sort of involvement with this effort over the past three years. So, I mean, I think that's it's a, a, a huge sector of the environmental movement. Oh, I left out the Center for Biological Diversity. That's the fifth. So you know, millions of people who otherwise wouldn't be thinking about prisons, but uh, because of this organizing, you know, they are. That's fantastic. Um, I, I want to backtrack for a moment here. You mentioned Operation Push uh, just a few minutes ago, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the work that you've done with Operation Push and what it is. Uh, so I think you guys covered uh, Operation Push and in some ways really helped us mm-hmm. uh, bring awareness to it around the country. Um, we received communication that we retained uh, anonymity for the prisoners because of you know, fear of reprisal. And um, you know, they were calling a group of prisoners, which we did eventually disclose was 
from one of the many prisons in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, they called for a prison strike statewide of all prison workers to apply pressure on the state prison system for some very basic demands like, you know, extreme price gouging, uh, bringing back parole mm-hmm. to the state prison system that had gotten rid of parole in the 90s. And uh addressing prison labor problems. So essentially, you know, prisoners in Florida get paid nothing compared to other prisons that, while it's a tiny amount, you know, uh, it's at least something. And so these were, you know, these demands, they were reasonable and they could, they could have been met or at least, you know, uh, brought an official to the table to discuss, Mm -hmm. you know, how to deal with them, how to address them. Uh, instead, we documented dozens of cases of preemptive retaliation against people they suspected might be involved, yeah. um, people who who had no involvement but received mail, uh, which you know thousands of pieces of mail were sent into the prisons, letting people know about <clears throat> uh, these concerns and these demands. So recipients of that information were also punished, even if they had you know no involvement. So starting in January that we started, you know, we started getting uh, little hints that that's what was happening. And by February, it was clear to us that, you know, over a dozen prisons had, uh, whether they were on strike or not, they had massive retaliation, whole facilities on lockdown, uh, hundreds of people, you know, forced to other, either other dorms or other prisons in order to break up communication and organizing um, the entire kitchen crew, for example, being sent to other dorms. So none of the prisoners knew if the kitchen went on strike because that's usually the first sign. So we learned a lot of these things. It was kind of a crash course on the inner workings of prison labor because the information came out, kind of trickled out to us about how this stuff was happening. In that same time period, we also uh, heard of several disturbances which we're still trying to get public records on um, to find out why they occurred and how severe they were. So that was February 15th and March 7th at two prisons. There was activity that sounds like it was related to protests, but the prison administration uh, didn't admit it or wouldn't provide any details. So those are some examples of, of how things are still slowly trickling out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what happened during Operation Push. I'm just curious, you haven't heard anything more recently about Operation Push, uh, about the people involved. Do you, I mean, do you know if there's still people in solitary confinement or being moved around or anything like that? I'm not sure. Uh, yes. I mean, it's it's hard to narrow it down, honestly. It's, it's sure. kind of a, a big spreadsheet. But yeah, we're in, in touch with uh, several dozen prisoners who we, ma- we maintain correspondence with, and we're contesting uh, issues of censorship surrounding Operation Push, people who didn't get their mail uh, or had mail denied to them, Mm -hmm. Uh, people who were accused of participating, you know, in gang activity uh, or lost their, their property when they were moved to another prison. Um, I don't know if you, if you heard about the strip cell uh, stories that came out of prisoners being uh, tortured and left in these, bare cells with broken windows during freezing temperatures 
few yeah. months ago. So, you know, we've been, we've, we've kept in touch with, with several of those prisoners, uh, and attempted to connect them with legal resources and publicize their stories. So that's, it's ongoing. I mean, just today, someone sent a letter from Florida state prison, which is where the strip cell story came out of saying that they just got their censorship notice today that the mail, which was sent to them in January was, uh, being, being held and, and censored. So it's four months later, you know, to tell someone that, that their mail wasn't coming in. <laughs> so, uh, you know, every once in a while we post some of these letters on our Facebook page or other uh, statewide prisoner Facebook pages. And then there's the whole visitation cut issue, which I don't know if you want to talk about that, but that's absolutely uh, that's also kind of an outgrowth of the Operation Push organizing. Yeah, please. Can you uh, say something about that? Yeah. And we, you know, we framed it in the context of our environmental justice work uh, because, you know, human contact, the very basic, you know, kind of fundamental part of our biological species, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're a social species where we rely on our communities and our, and our and contact with each other. Um, and so to deny someone that to me is not just a human right violation, it's also an environmental justice issue that, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a species on this planet, that uh, you know, relies on these basic needs that to, to deprive them of people is, you know, it should be viewed as an environmental issue as well as a social issue. And so, we joined with other prisoner family members that came out against the visitation cuts that were proposed in Florida, mm-hmm. and we found that it wasn't just Florida. You know, looking at this. Uh, this sort of plan. Uh, New York just last year had a, a huge proposal for visitation cuts, yep. which they actually defe- they defeated. Um, and so we took that as some inspiration. Unfortunately, in the case of New York, you know, they were looking at scaling back from seven days visitation to weekends. Here in Florida, we only have weekend visitation, so uh, it would be scaling back to uh, half half those weekends. And cutting back from six hours of visits to uh, as little as two hours of visits. So there's a pretty big uproar against that, and we've packed public hearings to provide comments and um, generated thousands of of letters and signatures from petitions. And it's been a good uh, organizing opportunity to connect with with prisoners' family members on the outside and hear from them, you know, what they're hearing about inside. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not and that way, in some ways. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just building this, the network for you know long-term organizing by being in touch with family members on the outside who you know uh, are not going to just be thrown in a solitary cell or or shipped to another prison, you know, without any notice. Mm-hmm. That we can you can actually communicate with them on a regular and reliable basis. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Brian, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I was going to say, and I've noticed too, it's like wrapped up in this. It's not just visitation, but it's like the mail uh, and phone privileges and and like all kinds of things are coming down to a lot of it under this contraband nonsense. But, um, you know, we only we only have like uh, about 10 minutes left with you. So I wanted to make sure that you had time to talk about this. I know that you guys have an event coming up in Pittsburgh, uh, your fight toxic prisons convergence. 
Um, and I was yep. wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about it and maybe tell us a little bit about the one you had last year uh, in Texas. Yeah. Uh, well, we this would be our third annual convergence. The first was in 2016 in Washington, D.C. And uh, we're really happy to see how they've grown and how they've been able to kind of energize the movement and, and uh, you know, a place for, for activists to have face-to-face contact with each other and, you know, kind of take a step away from sitting at a screen and, you know, clicking social media buttons mm-hmm. and, and really organize together, which I think is, is sadly, it's increasingly rare. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to bring uh, activists and former prisoners and their family members all together uh, from across sectors, you know, from the environmental movement and from uh, prisoner rights or prison abolition movements. We've also had prisoners uh, call in from prisons all over the country to be a part of panels um, and have their voice, you know, in the, in the mix during the conference. So that's been awesome. Uh, this year in Pittsburgh, one of the, the feature and a keynote speakers that we're working on is um, having Tim DeChristopher, who's a climate justice activist, mm-hmm. spent a couple of years in prison out West, uh, speaking alongside Mumia Abu-Jamal, who's a prisoner in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're, we're crossing our fingers that we're going to be able to uh, make the phone call work out because that's always up in the air. But I, I think it'll be a really cool moment to look at this intersection between the, you know, what Tim DeChristopher brings, which is this fossil fuel abolition movement that now has supported people through trials and is, you know, mm-hmm. has political prisoners of its own. And the um, you know the prison abolition movement and the liberation struggles of the '60s and '70s that uh, you know political prisoners are uh, who, have, who have been in for, for multiple decades now are you know uh, still part of the movement and so looking at those you know the intersections and and what to learn from each other and how to grow stronger that's something I'm looking forward to in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And for folks who are in the area, uh, can you say when uh, when's the conference and where is it going to take place in Pittsburgh? Uh, it's going to be June 8th through the 11th. And in the downtown Pittsburgh area, we're, we're on the verge of nailing down uh, a space at, at UPIT. So don't quote me, but that's where <laughs> uh, most likely most of the events are going to occur. But it will be in the general Pittsburgh area. So we might be spread out through the city. Uh, so you can check it out at fighttoxicprisons.org and you'll find uh, the invitation for the com- uh, convergence. You can also find you know, pictures and videos and stories from the last two years convergences, which I think will give you a good idea of what to expect this year. Awesome. Fantastic. And um, we have uh, just like a couple minutes left. Do you mind if I uh, just ask you one more question? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we talked about or you've raised a number of different issues regarding um the overlap between uh the prison ecology movement as well as you know prison reform and um prison abolition um and I'd like to I'd like to get you to in a couple of minutes if you can do this um <laughs> and I know this is uh not 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 one of the questions that we originally had um, on on the books uh, for for the interview today, but to perhaps 
get you to think about or to um, expand or expound on um, that intersection of prison ecology and prison abolition as folks see it. So if people want to get involved in this movement, what are some of the things that they can focus on immediately? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. And a couple specific examples come to mind and things that might be on people's radar already if you know if you follow the news or social media around um, prison issues see I think South Carolina is on a lot of people's mind uh, right now from the um, yeah I think it's still unclear about what what exactly to call it but the the violence at Lee correctional uh, possible uprising or you know possible Uh, you know, just brutal repression and basically like, you know, uh, lighting a powder keg and watching it blow. Um, But, you know, just less than a year ago in South Carolina, uh, the prisoners launched a a full-on uprising, you know, without much doubt uh, about the intentions surrounding uh, having the water supply cut off in the facility. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, most people uh, view access to water as a pretty basic environmental right. And so thinking about a prison full of people, thousands of people um, locked inside a building with no water, you know, I, uh, seeing that as, you know, grounds for a legitimate uh, reason to to rebel and people took over the prison, uh, you know, they were able to make it to the rooftop and, you know, this sort of thing, it's not, uh, infrequent in the world of, of prisons. And I think getting people to look at this stuff and identify and real, and, you know, relate to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the conditions, not just conditions of confinement, it's also environmental and health conditions. Absolutely. So the other, the other one that comes to mind, um, is, in Massachusetts at Norfolk uh, Maximum Security Prison, mm-hmm. Massachusetts State Prison. And there was a recent hunger strike uh, based on the water quality, contaminated water, and prisoners were attempting to self-organize to provide themselves um, with bottled water. And uh, one of the prisoners were, was accused of coordinating that effort uh, and you know, purchasing large quantities of bottled water to distribute was uh, punished and put in solitary and went on hunger strike. And um, thankfully, you know, the Boston Globe covered it and it, it got uh, attention. Mm-hmm. There's a local organization, a coalition of organizations called Deeper Than Water, uh, making those connections as well in Massachusetts. So I recommend people check that, check out deeperthanwater.org and find out, you know, how you can participate and engage and support prisoners who are, you know, on the front lines of these environmental justice struggles on the inside. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. Can you uh, let people know where they can find you and follow your work uh, and check you out? Yeah, uh, we have a, you know social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter for Fight Toxic Prisons. Um, FightToxicPrisons.org uh, is the website. We keep it pretty updated with, with um, information about the convergences and then some of the campaigns that we're focusing on. I didn't get to talk much about Letcher County, but... Um, Electric County is actually really heating up right now as uh, they're trying to push for construction of this new prison. So, you know, keep an eye out on our social media if you want to get involved. 
we're looking at the potential of uh, escalating that campaign, you know, likelihood of filing litigation around the environmental issues, but also you know, if they start to, ro to to bring in bulldozers, what kind of response do we want to have to uh, stop this prison construction? Great. Well, uh, wish you best of luck in that, and we'll be following. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, being cool, here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Take care.